Francis Ha, Sung Tongs. This is off the list. off the list um as you should know by now it's a podcast with ben and adira and we have lists and things that we take off of them namely movies namely music i'm nadira i supply the movies that's ben he supplies the music and What's uh up? yeah so this episode i feel like it's a pretty chill episode you know certainly Very... compared to punk week our movie for this episode is Francis Ha by Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. And our album for this episode is Sung Tongs by Animal Collective. And to start, we will begin by talking about Francis Ha. Mm-hmm. Yay. Ha ha. Basically, the synopsis of Francis Ha is um, it's about a woman named Frances. She's like 27 or 28. She says it in the film at some point. 27. She's 27. And she's living in New York trying to make it as a dancer. Um, And, you know, she's broke and trying to get over the fact that the people that she cares about, namely her best friend in particular, but also just in general, um, are all sort of moving on and getting older and like doing more adult things without her and yet she's still here kind of trying to be true to herself and not trying to grow up but also trying to make it but also trying to not be a shitty person Mm -hmm. um which she realizes you know takes a lot more self-awareness than what she has so ben um how did you how did you feel about this movie (laughs) I feel like I'm going to expose myself pretty hard here, but not only is this the favorite movie that I've seen so far in relation to the podcast, but it's definitely Mm -hmm. now probably like one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Um, This Mm -hmm. movie, and I do think a lot of it has to do with the time of my life I'm in right now, being in my Mm -hmm. kind of mid to late 20s and that kind of transition period, and that's exactly what this movie is about. But beyond that, the movie has this incredibly hopeful tone that I find most movies about the 20s just don't carry. And watching it felt like a really nice hug from someone that I have missed for a really long time. And that was a really unique experience for a movie. I have been thinking about it a ton And I'm sure you'll give the synopsis right after, but I will just say in accordance with what was my favorite scene, by far, 1000% when Greta Gerwig's character is talking to Lev's hookup for the night about breakfast sandwiches. And she says, you know, I, I really can't. I have like all these busy plans, you know, like a full adulting day. And then the next shot is immediately her just scarfing down that breakfast sandwich i cannot tell you i literally paused the movie because i was laughing so hard and i felt so attacked by that moment (laughs) when i first watched this movie i think i was in undergrad but like freshly in undergrad so i really liked it because i mean i don't know it just hits all the like quirky indie beats that i enjoy yes but i i didn't really feel so attached 
to it. You know, like I wasn't like, oh, this movie is amazing. And then when I was rewatching it, I was like, bro, this is just so real. Yes. I was like, this yes. is just so holy everything shit, yes. that I'm going through. <laughs> <laughs> everything that everyone I know is going through. And it's one of the few movies where I can truly feel like I relate to it, even though the center of the film is a white woman mm-hmm. and everyone in the film is white yes but it, it felt a lot more relatable than anything that Greta Gerwig or Noah Baumbach have done in the past so Noah Baumbach directed it and he also co-wrote it with Greta Gerwig you would probably know Noah Baumbach now as the director of and writer of The Marriage Story mm-hmm. there's that Adam Driver link and then you'd also know Greta Gerwig as the director and writer of Lady Bird and the um, revival of Little Women yes um, you know the any movie that Paris Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet made together Greta Gerwig probably had something to do with it yes <laughs> and I'm a big Greta stan I find Noah Baumbach stuff to be good for the most part but definitely usually has parts that i find absolutely intolerable i guess it's just like the characters yeah you know it's like if every movie was catcher in the rye like the the lead character is holden caulfield except he went to an ivy league college you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) i (laughs) i noticed that about this movie as i was watching it i was like this is writing such an incredibly fine line where it could come across as just so annoying um, and it, I, I, at times, I even wondered if I felt it was annoying. I, I think that sometimes really good art makes you wonder that, like, is this annoying or am I just yes. really liking yeah. it? And for me, yeah. it fell on the line where I was like, I'm just really enjoying this. All How eccentric um, Frances Sit as Greta Gerwig is, is very believable. Um, she never feels inauthentic or like she's playing up the role for the idea of indie eccentricity. Greta Gerwig she got her start or sort of well known as one of the main creators of the genre mumblecore which basically it's very very evident in this film and this film is a part of it but mumblecore is a genre where you know it's just like a whole bunch of indie filmmakers and everything's sort of partially scripted and so they they let the actors just act the way they want and sort of improv and banter which is why she comes off so earnest you know Mm -hmm. and so relatable because in those moments where especially I mean I think my favorite section of the film is the section where she's living with the boys yes um, that section's incredible I sort of segment the film by who she's living with at the time yes you know in in all of their fights and all of their bickering and all of their sort of really stilted fast-paced conversations you can tell that every time they cut each other off or talk over each other or say something just like off the wall that was unrelated to what they were talking about, you could tell it's improvisational and it feels real. And so I, I really appreciated that. I mean, this film also did like in terms of the technical thing, you know, it's filmed like French New Wave, which is maybe part of the reason why it's in black and white. Um, but it's French New Wave just is a genre where they, you know, rejected conventions and tried to make everything a bit more mundane and filmed like a documentary with like long takes and jump cuts and, you know, like nothing's clean. And they really took it to the extremes. Like I was reading up on it about tech, which I never do, but because <laughs> um, ill, but <laughs> it was really interesting to hear that they used like student film cameras. So instead of using actual film cameras, they just used Canon Mark IIs. And instead of putting, like, fancy lenses on those Canon Mark IIs, they use, like, 
kind of normal lenses that photographers would use. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you like blow it up to the aspect ratio it's at, like it's hard to get things fully entirely in focus because they literally were just using like student stuff on purpose. I, I want to also add to like what made this movie so spe- special to me and it's, uh, and I yeah, think you do that and then I'll do that. <laughs> I, I think another thing that really struck me about this film is not just it talking about kind of the trials and tribulations of being in your mid twenties. It's talking about what I'm going to like loosely define as the kind of invisible line that is adulthood. And I like to think of it kind of like a sunset where when you're in your mid twenties, all of a sudden the sun starts setting on you being like a child or an adolescence, you know, in your twenties and you're realizing like, Oh my gosh, I'm becoming an adult. But in your early twenties, especially now where so many of us graduate from college and are kind of in that later period of our twenties, really overqualified, but completely jobless. Um, we feel like pseudo adults, right? We're like, I know I am an adult. Like I file taxes. I do all that shit, but I'm not really an adult and I don't emotionally feel like an adult. So, you know, it's sunset. What comes from that is this movie, I think perfectly captures walking over that invisible line. And then by the end of the movie, she has accepted that sunset and she's allowed the sun to set and she's moved into her adult life. But you see her actually be, happy and content and find the things that she was looking for within her 20s in her adulthood to me my favorite thing about this movie is actually not necessarily that it's a movie about adulthood which it is but that it's more to me essentially a breakup film Hmm. yeah (laughs) it's a movie that starts and ends with her breaking up with someone and reconciling that relationship and trying to get over that relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is sort of the driving beat of every person she lives with, every place she goes, every conversation she has, right? Like 90% of them come back to Sophie in some way in that relationship and her trying to sort of recreate that relationship in other places. And what I love about this movie is that so many times you think it's going to sort of give up on that and then become a movie about romantic relationships. Like so many moments Mm -hmm. you think, oh, okay, this is the part where she like meets the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? (laughs) But it never happens and it stays about the friendship and it stays about that being a viable relationship that can be so strong that it can drive all of these other things to happen and that it can drive someone to feel that way as if it was what most people would consider, you know, a romantic relationship. And I love that that last moment, which I would kind of disagree of that being the most famous scene. I think the most famous scene is her dancing to modern love down oh, the street. But you're probably right. The second actually. most famous is that scene. And I love I love that they just didn't cheap out on it. Like, cause she does meet Benji even at the end. She like mm-hmm. meets Benji and you think that that's going to be the thing. And you're like, Oh, okay. So she's, she's found the guy again. Like they're both undateable, LOL. But then she still has the moment with her best friend, you know? And I, I really, really like that the movie doesn't try to cheap out on that in any way that it really drives home the fact that to me, like it is essentially a breakup film. I really, a lot of times 
respected the way that it talked about romantic relationships in kind of a dismissive sense because like so often the romantic relationships that exist in our 20s are so ass and so terrible and we're just in them and we don't know why or what we're doing yeah and the way in which it treats them as so non-essential to our actual like identity and being is really refreshing because very few movies would ever consider your romantic relationships as like some of the least important relationships in your life. Right. And yeah, it's not even that they're unnecessary. The movie treats all of the romantic relationships as false in some way. Mm -hmm. And I love that so much. Like even when Sophie's with Patch, you find out at the end, it's a false relationship. It's so shitty. (laughs) Entirely false relationship. I mean, she sticks with it. But it is a false relationship, right? And that's sort of the most solid one that you see that's yeah. of people of um, Francis's age. Besides the f- the final scene where she finally choreographs and like every like you can see the people that she cares about watching. Mm-hmm. Besides that, yes, because that's not like necessarily dialogue. I think my favorite scene in the whole film is when she calls Sophie from Paris. Oh, yeah. And she never tells her that she's in Paris. Yes. Like, there's a few times where she almost spills that she's in Paris. She catches herself, and every single time, like, it's, I think it's the most selfless you see her be in the entire film. Mm-hmm. And it's such a quaint, like, moment because you can tell that, like, you can tell she so wants to be like, yeah, well, I'm in Paris right now, so bye. Yeah. But you can also see her, like, mentally, like, in real time make the judgment that that would be a bad call yeah (laughs) and so she and so she doesn't and you can you can also tell that like the conversation is sort of like breaking her a little bit I don't know I just think it's incredibly well acted like I don't know how much of it was scripted or not but just incredibly well acted it's definitely my favorite scene like it just says so much about where she is at that moment where they are at that moment the movie was far less pretentious than I thought it was going to be when I started it I think Greta being a part of this film definitely, definitely brought it back down to earth. Humanizes yeah, it. Definitely grounded it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can just tell by like Lady Bird versus A Marriage Story, right? Like, <laughs> I think you really can. I think he just writes male characters that are pretentious. I mean, he, he definitely literally hit the pinnacle of that with Adam Driver character Adam Driver's character in Marriage Story winning the fucking Myth Art MacArthur Grant Genius Grant. Yes, and every movie, every movie is like that. Every movie, his male characters are like that. I, I will end it by saying that Francis Ha is my favorite movie so far. Not just because of how it like has related to me as a mid twenties lost person who's currently recording a podcast inside of their car, <laughs> but because. I really respected how much the film came across as not a pretentious piece of art, but as a really human endeavor to kind of understand what it means to grow up and be an adult in the 2000s. Absolutely. Oh, and last, 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 last thing. The ending where you see her name, chef's kiss, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. Okay, that's it. That's all I can say. Okay, I think we should move on now. Time to move on to... The Animal Collective record, Sung Tongs. And before I start talking about anything about this, I want to ask you about the name real quick, right? Where do you think the name Sung Tongs comes from? 
Are you actually asking me? Yeah, I'm actually asking you because it's going to make you mad. So just I want to know like the actual answer is going to make you upset. So I want I want to know your guess first. Oh, it's going to make me upset. Um, Okay, this is hard. This is hard because I as soon as the first song played, I completely relieved myself of any idea of understanding why. (laughs) Um of just the question why I vowed to never ask it. Um, and so I, <laughs> and so asking um, about the album title is contradictory to that. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't even think about it to be completely honest. Cause I was just like, why not? You know? Cause that would yeah. sort of like, okay. If all right. The question is why then why not? All no, right. but let me guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Give a guess. Okay. My guess. Sung Tong. Is it supposed to be tongue songs? It's, you're kind of on the right track, but like in a way that you don't realize. All right. So like the so, tongue in your body. So, okay. You can explain what I'm about to do to the listeners. So some songs, thumb thongs. Okay. Yes. That, that's so it. What Ben has done is he, he said the phrase some songs and then he put his finger in his mouth, which <laughs> track number 10. <laughs> um, he put his finger in his mouth and then said some songs again, but it was distorted because he had a finger in his mouth. And apparently that's supposed to sound like the title sung tongs, which I feel like, no, but I also <laughs> feel like, sure. Why not? You know? Yeah. I was, I, I knew it would make you mad, but that's the whole reason it's called some tongs is because it's like some songs and like it. Is... They would. I think they needed an H in there then. Like I'm not mad at it. <laughs> I'm just like spell it right, you know. But it, it, to be fair, wow. they're not going to spell anything right on this album. So, listen. They said what is right and what is wrong. They said what is reality. What mm-hmm. is convention? What is a box? I don't exactly. Know. <laughs> so let me um, introduce a little bit of background beyond that. Very. Yeah. Okay. I was actually going to ask for the first time ever. Like I would like to know more about this band. <laughs> Yes. Tell me more. So Animal Collective is a, we'll loosely say indie, group from Baltimore. And they consist of three members. You've got Dan Deacon. You've got A.V. Terre. And then you've got The Geologist. And um, the, he's not a part of this project, so don't worry about it. But essentially, these three okay. group members kind of just function in and out under this collective name, Animal Collective, where one of them will show up and put out an Animal Collective project, or then all three of them will show up and put out a project together. And in the early 2000s, they started releasing some of what is undeniably the weirdest music that was being released online at that moment. The best way to describe their music is an acid trip around the campfire in that kind of early Mm -hmm. phase and it usually just involves a couple of them playing the acoustic guitar and a lot of weird electronic distortion and a lot of really weird singing and then as they continued to progress they got more and more popular and they started to make more and more concrete songs the thing is that they like went through this progression and I think it's really fascinating to bring it back to where they started and back to this kind of really raw uncompromised sound that exists on Sung Tongs when explaining this group 
And yeah. so Sung Tongs was recorded in the really early 2000s. It was released in 2004. And wow. it kind of was this torchbearer when it comes to music that was just out of this fucking world and from the kind of indie scene where it existed in this kind of freak folk era and Mm -hmm. they're yelping all over this project. The singing is out of this world. Their songs very rarely have structure. It is really, really jarring to listen to for the first time. And I, that's, I think, a good point to ask. What was your first experience listening like before I talk about my experience with this album? Um, completely different. Um, so <laughs> 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 completely different than what you just said. I didn't find it jarring at all. I Okay, I don't know if that's because I feel like... I just feel like white people just always be on some shit. Like, I'm just like okay, <laughs> okay, like, go off. Okay. Like, I, I don't know, but that is it. But you can't deny it's jarring just because you're like, oh, it's like, like no, 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 they're no, no, going no. Okay, for so, it. Okay, so so what I was gonna say, like what I was getting to was, I resigned myself to it so completely that it became so non-memorable in a good way. So mm-hmm. and when I say that, I mean like I would put this on to study or to write. That's how okay. not jarring it was for me because for me it was like a whole experience as yes. opposed to like as opposed to like particular songs and because I was just like okay I guess if this is what we doing this is what we doing <laughs> so then I was like okay let me just let me just be in it in the fucking jungle or or woodlands wherever the fuck I was and let me just <laughs> you know like be in it it just became I, this keeps sounding bad but I mean this in like the best possible way it became like background music or like mm-hmm. background noise to just like mellow me out if that makes sense like yes. it's just like oh yeah like I could focus to this I could mellow out to this I could knit to this I could draw to this I could you know like whatever it just felt sort of like an atmosphere like I was setting an atmosphere as opposed to like I don't know as opposed to I think if I thought songs. about it too as hard, opposed to songs yeah as opposed to songs <laughs> exactly Uh, i I think i literally like after the first song the notes just like rapidly disappear but mm -hmm. it's like oh i really like the way it plays with the voice as an instrument it's also weird but not that weird in terms of like the music that we've listened to and then the third note was are they meowing and then i stopped (laughs) taking notes so (laughs) which which all happens within track one yes exactly within the first track they're vocalizing more than singing i would say Mm-hmm. just like indie vibes with there, a Z. there are theoretically you know, like, there are theoretically lyrics but like god help us trying but to not really them. until you get to mouth wooed her and then yeah. you're like whoa there's the lyrics wow yeah um so <laughs> um but yeah in terms of just to cycle back because you know i always have to say what it's giving yeah it was giving i mean i think this is just kind of straight up like i don't know if you'll find this funny because i didn't find this funny it's just kind of like no this is exactly what it's giving it's giving a lullaby for a half woodland nymph, half alien child. Yep. I don't know where this alien child and woodland nymph met. I don't know. Um, but if they did, this would be the album that they would put on to lull their child to sleep. Yes. And you know what's yeah. funny is I have a note on my phone that says, Nadira's It's Giving Me Vibes will 100% include 
some kind of forest or woodlands. So <laughs> I have nailed it. I'm so proud of you. I've never been more proud of you than on this episode right here, right now. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Instant serotonin. It's just the two members I talked about on the group here. Um, and the two of them recorded this over two years where they would just sit down with each other. Both have their respective acoustic guitars on their lap and they would just riff. And they would riff and kind of create these songs and then later produce them up and to kind of make them weird and alien and ghosty the way that mm. they sound. And I think that that's why a lot of this meditative or kind of background aspect exists to this music because a lot of this music was made through these very like long improv sessions of these two just kind of riffing it out with each other. I've actually seen this album in its entirety perform live. And wow, I want to talk about that because I think that that really highlights what makes this album so special to not only to me, but just in general to music is. Yeah, please do. I would love to hear about what this sounds like live. The two of them were, it's very much a cult classic for them. It, although Meriwether Post Pavilion is definitely what everyone loves the most from them in terms of like what is played at shows. This is a cult classic. They really love this album. And so. In the summer of 2018, they were like, we're going to do a tour for this album, and it will just be the two of us. We're just going to go around and tour this album in its entirety, and I was studying abroad at the time, and miraculously, they were coming to Athens, Greece. So I bought a 50-euro ticket, and I went to a free show to see them, and I sat in a field in this random park in Athens, Greece with like maybe 20 people around me. Cause like everyone in Greece didn't know who the fuck animal collective was. <laughs> and they sat down the two of them with their guitars and they played this album from front to back in the exact order that it's presented. And I didn't know what to expect because the album is so produced and a lot of the sounds and the way they manipulate right. their voices. And then they start singing the album and you're like, Oh, they really didn't have to produce it much to get it to sound as weird as it does because they absolutely just go for it. Like screaming into their guitars, absolutely losing their minds, banging on their drum, they're banging on the guitars like their drums, going into the mic and literally going like meow and then the entire crowd going kitty. Like it was <laughs> one of the most surreal experiences of my entire life and when I feel like was Bjork there because I feel like she was. <laughs> she was there definitely in spirit because and, and I again it was so weird that there were oh, like there were only like 20 people. I don't know why they came to Athens, Greece and did a free show, but they yeah. they just Was did there it. absinthe? Cuz there must have been. <laughs> I feel as though <laughs> like I, I don't know. It was like it but the album when you're listening to it in a concert experience, it feels incredibly communal because they're encouraging you to like vocalize and make sounds with them. Yeah, it definitely seemed that way to me, even upon listening, like it felt um, a bit more traditional and not in the sense of like traditional music, but in the sense of like traditional human yeah <laughs> conversation you know what I mean like in the sense of like back in the day when we were just grunting and shit and that's how we would communicate it felt like that's what they were sort of trying to tap into 
for this. And when I think of back in the day communication and music, I think of communal settings. And what's so fascinating to me is you saying that for the majority, it wasn't that produced and it's only two guys because I could have sworn that they brought a whole heap of people upon the studio Nope. And was like, here, now just make these noises because it it felt, I don't know if I was making it up or if it was the production or the guitars, but it felt like they had a whole group of people just making these noises with them. Just two dudes from Baltimore. I don't know how they did that. Going yeah, crazy. I don't know how they did that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow. I love how free they feel though that's quite beautiful that they that's quite beautiful that these men these white men feel entitled to do whatever they want that they feel that they can have the space you know to just be themselves and not be (laughs) oppressed and i'm sorry i'm totally totally harping on the fact that they're white men no but that's cool i (laughs) i think i think that that's completely fair to say that you know it is unlikely that people people of like minority settings or of oppressed groups have a lot harder time making music that's like this freaky and odd because of the fact that mm-hmm. they don't feel the freedom to like put out into the world. Like these two could put this out into the world and not feel like the potential repercussions of it. Like, yeah. Anyone. Wow. Thanks for taking group. my shade and turning it into actual societal criticism. We stand. <laughs> it's true. Like, I, I mean, it's something that you, I don't, I didn't recognize when I was listening to when I was 14, but like, I really recognize listening to it now. Like it's really not something that is, easy for non-white men to do i think when it comes down to it i don't think i'd listen to this album unless i was also doing something else because like i said like to me it very much is like studying music or like creativity music if i was doing like whatever activity Mm -hmm. um but i do in general really appreciate people who just do weird shit make no apologies for it find their little weird little freaky little fans and just have a good time you know like i think that that is one of the best things that sort of communal interactive art can do i think it's what made them have this kind of cult fan base around this album is that it manages to capture the communal and root of music making within the indie scene and really let people have their freak flag fly while they're doing it i think so the softest voice i think might be my favorite that's a because that's an amazing song just because peaceful sounds like i was just like oh this is really really cool i love the way they're again using the voice as an instrument i think my other favorite just because it's the the calmest nastiest song i've ever heard in my entire life i'm just like wow you pulled that off is really mouth wooed her like i was very impressed i was like this is like the yin yang twins like the whisper song except indie like i was like how did you because wow dirty but also (laughs) wow calm honestly your reaction to this album is about as good as i expected it to be because i I genuinely thought you might not really just not like this album and I wouldn't have been like upset about it in any way, but it's just, it's so what it's doing is so specific, you know, is a really good thing for you to know in terms of music history, because sometimes you'll hear very small snippets of it come out in indie music nowadays where bands will have these kind of like meditative moments or they really rely on kind of visceral communal sounds or any of these things. And in my opinion, the clear 
heart of it is this album and what it represented mm-hmm. for indie music and just music in kind of like the popular sphere in yeah. the early 2000s. Yeah, so let's talk about next episode. Um, so We're totally breaking the rules with it, but we don't give a fuck. This time, we've both listened to the album. Mm-hmm. I don't even know which album Ben's choosing, but the category <laughs> for next episode is Talking Heads. I've heard every Talking Heads album. I love the Talking Heads, so I know that whatever one Ben's going to choose, I've already listened to. But, but... Ben has not seen Stop Making Sense, which is the Talking Heads concert film. I've, ever since I saw it, which is not that long ago that I saw it for the first time, ever since I saw it for the first time, I've gone on to absolutely 100% say with my chest, like we can fight on this, that the best concert films the two best concert films that have ever been created, and I mean ever, of all of the concert films that I've seen, and no, I haven't seen them all before you little smart Alex over there want to get smart, (laughs) are Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads and Homecoming by Beyonce. And I've seen Homecoming. That's, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm saying it now. Those are the two best concert films I've ever seen. And so when we were talking about this podcast and I found out that Ben hadn't seen Stop Making Sense, I was just kind of like, whenever you want to, we can break the rules for this because it is imperative to me and to my constitution as who I am Mm -hmm. that you see this movie and that you like this movie. I mean, there's no way you're not going to like it because it's, if you like the talking heads, it's a concert film. It's kind of just like a win-win. It's also worth breaking the rules for because the album that I'm giving you remain in light is easily one of the most important albums in, in American music history. Like listen by far. I, I'm so excited. I'm just so excited to talk about what this band means to both of us. But I can 100% positively say that that is Francis Ha and Sun Tongs off the list. It should be off of yours as well. I think you should at least, I'm not saying you out there are going to love both of them, but I think you all out there should experience both of them. Absolutely. And you need um, to do it yeah, because we'll then when I do this, it'll make sense. Meow. Yes, please. Please, so that that can make sense. Or you know what? Don't, so that it never makes sense. And it's just so much better. Okay, that's enough. We're done. Actually, no, We're don't done. don't listen to the album so that you can just have Ben meowing and not make any sense. Oh, we're done here. <laughs> Wow. Okay. See you guys. Bye. Oh, Lucy Bert from Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) That should be the closer of everyone. Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes. 